Hey guys, welcome to the Justice Filmmakers Podcast. My name is Justice Brooks, and I'm sitting here with my fellow Canadian, Derek Lamoureux. Derek, thanks so much for being with me here, bro. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast, man. I'm super excited that uh, you're starting a podcast, and i um, glad to be a guest. Yeah, man. No, you're, you're the first Canadian we've had on here, so I'm a little bit biased, but I'm pretty excited to kind of hear hear your perspective. But yeah, so for those who don't know, Derek is a DP. He's a director. He owns his own company. Um, He's based in the Toronto area and um, been following his work for a while. And from a DP standpoint, dude, you are crazy, man. Anytime I'm talking to somebody about Black Magic, I have your stuff and I'll be like, oh yeah, this was shot on Black Magic. And people are like, what? Um, Like you can really kind of pull the best stuff out of it. Yeah, man, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Sweet. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to having a conversation and hopefully the people listening will get some value from today. Awesome, dude. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. Yeah. So like I said, I've been following you for a while, but for those who don't know, are you able to kind of just give a bit of a background um, as to like, you know, where you're from, how you got into the industry, what kind of work you do? And yeah, we won't get too far into it because we'll ask a little bit later, but kind of where you want to go kind of down the road. Sure. Yeah. So my kind of background was a little bit untraditional. You know, I think like many in film, I started making like movies and stuff in probably as far back as elementary school, just like, you know, for school projects and whatever. I never really did like skateboarding or music videos. It was just like school stuff. And then eventually I was, you know, just starting college and I was trying to transitioning into being full-time self-employed. And I started doing photography and videos, and then all of a sudden it became a full-time job. Um, So I didn't go to school for photography and video. I actually went to school for business. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of photo and video places where I was. And now, I mean, there's a ton, but I live in a small town called London, Ontario. It's like two hours outside of Toronto. Um, There's like 300,000 people here. And video, probably like six years ago when I first started, wasn't, I mean, it wasn't as popular as it is now. That's for sure. It wasn't popular at a college level. It wasn't as popular on Instagram. And, you know, I first just got started with like a Nikon camera, which is so frowned upon. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I get started with a Nikon. I shot a commercial for a local college and then it ended up going to, it was a mental health ad and it ended up going to theaters. And oh, wow. that was kind of like the Kickstarter to you know, my quote unquote career. Yeah, that's awesome. It's actually really interesting because a lot of the guys I know actually who who haven't necessarily studied film, but who work in the industry have a business degree. So um, Tyler was actually, he was on episode two. He said, yeah, he's like, I had a business degree and he's very similar to you. He's like, yeah, I started a business and you know, there wasn't a lot of like there were, he's from LA, so there was a lot of filmmaking, but he's like, you know, I just kind of figured, what if we just like buy a camera and I learn it and, you know, I do our own stuff and that's kind of how it took off. Um, no, so that's really interesting. And it's, I, I'm sure that, you know, your background in business even now helps you how you run your production company. Yeah. I mean, so like, you know, the background in business, I mean, at the time when I was going to school, I didn't think I was learning anything about business, but I think there's some slight things I did learn going to school for business that have helped. But really the owning your own production company was that thing that kind of taught me everything. You know, from the creative standpoint, I always say I'm like 49% creative, 51% business. And for me, running the business taught me how to run other companies that, you know, I've also invested in or run now as well outside of film or, you know, related to film. And my company, Rue Agency, you know, we do everything from docs to commercials, broadcast to web content. And that, you know, wasn't an easy build. I learned the hard way, you know, whether it was not getting paid by a client or, you know, missing a a project due date or something like early on. But all of those things, I think I learned as I went. And then, you know, you meet really, really good people along the way that help you get to where you are. Like I've met through collaboration and networking, probably some of my best friends and some of the people that make my stuff amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I'm a little bit curious because you were saying, you know, you you were doing filmmaking, you know, as far back as like elementary school or, or primary school, wherever you're listening, that's what they call it. Um, what made you, what made you go into business instead of saying kind of pursuing something like full-time in filmmaking right off the bat? My parents. 
Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think if I said, uh, I, I think business school seemed like the very safe path for yeah. for me and, you know, living, coming from a traditional family. And that's what I did. Um, and I remember when I first started doing video, they're like, that's a cool hobby. What job are you going to get? And then eventually I worked hard enough to prove that, no, this is the job that I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, like you were saying, um, you're saying, yeah, I had the business and then I kind of, um, you know, once you did the ad for the college, it kind of took off from there. So let's let's kind of just dig into that a little bit. You know, you're saying, okay, you know, you're running a business, you've got this kind of like hobby. After you did that one ad, what kind of made you be like, all right, you know, I'm going to kind of divert from the traditional route of, of owning a business and kind of jump in? Like what, did you kind of find that love you had like when you were a kid and you were like, I have to do this, you know, I can't not do it? Or was it more of a, oh yeah, this could be fun, let's see where it goes? Um, I think it was a little bit of both, but like, I mean, when I did it, it was it was so genuine and unintentional that it just kind of happened. Like I did the one video and, you know, that turned into shooting some weddings. And I mean, you know, I think, some people frown upon weddings, but they're a great start in filmmaking, to be honest. You learn to like move fast. You learn to like frame shots. So I shot weddings for like three, four years almost. And then that kind of led to connections in the corporate commercial world. And then I kind of had a portfolio big enough in commercials and docs that, you know, I could wean out doing weddings and do more commercials and passion projects that I wanted to. So for me, it was... A little bit of luck, I think, but also at the same time, I think the passion and meeting the right people on the way kind of led to this point so far. Yeah, no, that's actually really interesting. And I think for the listeners in North America specifically, it's very like obviously the commercial world is a little bit different, but there's a very big union presence there. Do you do union work or does is Rue kind of totally just separate? Like you just do it kind of on your own on the side? Yeah, so um, the agency doesn't do any union work and I don't belong to the union, so I don't do any work through unions when as a freelancer. And so that kind of gets confusing because, I mean, I freelance for other production companies and agencies, but I also own an agency. So I get to dabble in both worlds for anyone that's listening. Actually, I don't know how many people actually know I own Rue. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't do any union work at all. Yeah, no, that's good. And I find, you know, I've said it before, it's it's really interesting to find how different industries work in different countries. You know, for me, I've kind of lived all over. And, you know, because I studied film, I did film school in Canada, right? So everyone was very like, oh, you know, you got to get into IATSE. You got to get into this. You have to do it. And, you know, I was kind of like, eh, like, you know, we'll see. And then I go to Europe and like they have a union, but it's very agency based, right? And then I come here at Australia and it's even more agency based. So people are like, oh, dude, why would you join the union when there's all these different things? So something I kind of want to ask is how long have you had, like, how long has it been up and running? Uh, I mean, it got rebranded. So I mean, almost five or six years now. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Yeah. So like, you know, for somebody who's just starting out, you know, maybe they are starting and they're just kind of doing, they've just gotten into doing weddings and to do to smaller individual projects, you know, for them to look at someone like you who has, you know, you've had an agency for five years, um, you know, you're doing a lot of commercial work, you're doing a lot of cool stuff. What was the transition like? You know, you said, you know, when you did that college project, it kind of was like that tipping point. Was there a tipping point that kind of allowed you to go from, you know, doing smaller projects where it was just you, where you were doing everything to being able to work on, you know, bigger projects where, you know, it's not only a bigger client and a bigger production, but you were able to get a bigger crew and get a bigger, do you know what I mean? Like a bigger kind of yeah. production value with it. Yeah. So, I mean, like the the leveling up, I think uh, <laughs> I'd sometimes call it is like, how do you get to that next level? And it's honestly, it was a decision that I made to one, have no ego at all. So, you know, be prepared to find people that were better than me at the things that they were better at. And then also just be able to like give up control on certain things. So for me, early on, when I started collabing, I started, I would go out and like grip on other people's shoot or like shoot behind the scenes for them. Meanwhile, like I knew I could do the same job that they were doing, but I was like, I'm just going to do that. And then I'm going to prove myself that I can do what they're doing at a higher level and add some more value. And I ended up, you know, producing or directing at the end of the day. And they were like, cool, I'm going to get you to come do the next thing. 
And then, you know, they would get a bigger project. And then when I had a project, you know, I would give up all the money I would make on a project. So not a great business decision, but good creative decision. Mm -hmm. And I would hire as many people as I could afford and justify. You know, I would say like four years ago, it was like the transitioning from me being a single filmmaker to like, okay, now I'm going to always have an editor. I'm going to find someone to edit. Okay, now I'm going to bring someone with me to do audio. Okay, cool. Now I got a two-person crew. And then from a two-person crew to a four-person crew was like, okay, the budgets have increased a little bit because I can tell clients, hey, this is what you're getting at the end of the day and this is why it's better. And then I would just made the decision, okay, you know what? Instead of charging this, I'm going to charge this. And I kept doing that until someone said no. And then I was like, okay, no, I can't do that anymore. Obviously, someone said no. <laughs> and yeah. I would just bring a couple more people out. I would make the little money. I would ask them to come out maybe for a discounted rate. We'd build a relationship that way. And then, you know, I remember my first set with like 22 people. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I went from having like two people to like, 20 people and actors and hair and makeup and everyone has a role and walkie talkies. And it was like, how, how did I, I do that? And I think it was gradual obviously, but it was taking sacrifices financially to make the best thing creatively. And then putting myself amongst people that also had the same drive to do awesome work. Yeah, totally, man. No, I, I totally agree, you know. And, you know, you, I remember when I was younger, I'd hear about, you know, there's these big blockbuster movies and you hear about, you know, directors taking a pay cut or not even getting paid because they want to put that budget back in. Um, you know, and I think from a, you're right, from a business perspective, you could kind of look at that and be like, dude, you're crazy. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> but, you know, in the long run, you know, if you're able to do that and you're able to bring your product up, you know, people are going to see that and they're going to be like, oh, you know, if he knows how to manage, you know, obviously it's a passion thing, but you obviously know how to get the most out of what you're spending your money in. Yeah. And you, and you got to decide like, you know, for me, when I was shooting weddings, that was my ability to make money. And then on certain corporate mm -hmm. projects, you know, if it was an internal video, I, I'd make money on that. But, you know, anything that I thought could be portfolio, I would not only yeah. spend all the money on hiring crew and not pay myself, Sometimes I would even spend money out of my own yeah. pocket to make the thing <laughs> yeah. as good as possible. And that, I think, is something that a lot of people can never get past because they don't see that next light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah. I did. And luckily, I mean, dude, I still do that today. Like, there's a project I'm working on right now, and I'm like, I'm probably thousands deep out of my own pocket to make this awesome thing. And, you know, Instagram kind of sometimes clouds all that. Yeah, man. It's crazy because literally everyone I've talked to on the podcast has said that, you know, like even like guys from LA, the last guy, Jordan, you know, he edits for like Justin Bieber and Post Malone. And he's like, if there's a project that I think is like cool and can help me make connections and would be good for my website, he's like, I'll do it for free. Yeah. You know? And so it's really good. It's really good to see that. And I think that is really what separates people from, you know, who just see it as a job and a way to make money. You know, there's two kinds of people and you can really see, you know, if you see it as a job and you're going to do the, it's nine to five, you know, as soon as I'm off, I'm off. You know, the people who really, really are going to put, you know, not only their time, but, you know, sometimes even their money into it. That's really what is going to bring you to the next step. Yeah. And honestly, like, you know, for me, it's a good way to make a living. But I mean, I have, you know, goals and aspirations to do this as a career and not thinking short term financially, but thinking like, what do I want to achieve? What's those like milestones that I want to hit? And, you know, for me, yeah. one of those milestones is doing like a feature doc, which yeah. is in the works. And, you know, it's been kind of halted right now, but it's in the works. Yeah, with COVID. Yeah, man. It's been really interesting hearing your your business side of it, you know, because, you know, even for me, sometimes, you know, I like I work for a pretty big company and, you know, just seeing people who are doing it on their own. I'm like, wow, I'm like, damn, dude, that's really like it's good for them, you know, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of risk too. I mean, and that's the thing that I don't think is for everyone, right? And yeah. I always say this to people like, you have to decide if you're going to run a production company. Like I think everyone starts off and they're like, I'm going to run a production company. But yeah, oh, 100%. Soon man. after you got to yeah. realize you're like, am I, am I good at running a production company or am I just good at the thing? And if you're good at the thing, don't shy away from that. Like I know a lot of guys that are like, I can't run a production company, but they're the best at their trade and they freelance yeah. and they they're kick ass at what they do but you know production company is not for them 
Yeah, totally. And that's, that's the thing too, is, you know, for you, you're like, yeah, I have a business degree, you know, and for you, obviously you can tell that that is really helping you, but no, I totally, you know, there's a lot of people who are good at their job, but they just can't, even for me, man, like, I'm like, I, I love it. You know, my manager will book me on something. I show up, I do my thing and I leave, right? Like it's, it's so freeing, but it is definitely not for everybody. Um, yeah, something else I want to get into, and this is, um, I don't want to get too technical into it, but like looking at your work, dude, like you do great stuff. The lighting, like, dude, it's literally like world-class and <laughs> it's, I was really shocked. Like even just now, I'm really shocked that, you know, you have no really formal training in that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I won't take all the credit for all the work that sits on my Instagram. I mean, I work with <laughs> a lot of, you know, very talented people and I mean, you know, I direct more than I shoot. But I mean, I learned a lot about lighting from being around good people. I mean, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I watched a lot yeah. of videos. I mean, I'll give a shout out to Nick Pilecki. Uh, you know, he's a he's a great DP. I work with him a lot. And, you know, I learned a lot from him. And the two of us kind of, we grew up the last three years kind of leveling each other up. But I think for people that are looking to get good images and learn stuff, I'm not like a super tech person. Like, you know, the latest cameras used to be, I used to get all excited about that and go to trade shows and stuff. But honestly, like, man, like once you learn, listening to a couple podcasts, like Wandering DP or, you know, whatever, watch some breakdowns, learn it, and then just do the thing. And then you'll get better at it. Yeah. Like I'm still, you know, I'm still shooting passion projects just to practice lighting, man. Yeah. It's something totally, you man. don't, you'll never f- stop learning, especially if you put yourself in situations that are, complex and challenging. No, and I I totally agree, dude. Like I did study and, you know, it did help me. Like it was great. You know, I learned a lot of stuff, but the majority of what I've learned, you know, was like you're saying, you know, just going out and shooting and, you know, making mistakes. And sometimes, you know, and that's the thing with, you know, passion projects, you can try and you can experiment. And if it doesn't work, there's no pressure, right? You know, whereas if you're on a, a client shoot, you're like, oh, let's try this and it looks trash, then you're like, well, <laughs> here we go. We're in trouble. Yeah, right? I, I definitely save my trials for my passion project shoots or like, you know, that's a good place to like test music videos and weddings. Like, you know, they're probably yeah. not paying you a ton. Try some stuff out there. Try to flex a bit. Yeah, exactly. And to kind of get a little bit like deeper into that. So, you know, you're saying you, you know, you start off with an icon and you're kind of doing your own things. You know, I feel like a lot of people, like people I've talked to on the podcast, people I've talked to, like just at work, you know, they're like, oh, you know, I just watched like a bunch of tutorials or I did this or I did that. Is there anything specific that you kind of did that kind of um, like, you know, where you just like constantly shooting and then like looking back at it being like, oh, can I, how can I do this differently? Cause I know one of my buddies, uh, he was on one of the earlier episodes. He was like, yeah, dude, I literally just watched tutorials for like two weeks and that was that. Yeah. I think mine's been a progression of, um, listening and looking at content, whether it's tutorials or podcasts or even just sometimes on Instagram, I'll just go on like colorists or DPs Instagram. I'll look at their work and be like, okay, I'm going to try to implement this on my next like passion project or music video or whatever. And, or, you know, a client shoot and I'm going to give it a go and see if I can get close to what they did. And, you know, I just like finding inspiration online mm-hmm. and then, yeah, a lot of trial and then failure, a lot of failure. <laughs> <laughs> Not even trial and error, trial and failure. <laughs> trial and failure. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, it. dude, that's get that as the hashtag. No, dude, that's cool. Yeah, no, dude, it's actually, it's really interesting, you know, just hearing not only how you've kind of grown the business side, but also kind of how you've grown, you know, the technical side, especially because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, to be able to do that, you need to have properly studied and stuff. And, you know, for you, it's pretty crazy to see, you know, you've gone from, you know, studying something that had like nothing to do with film, um, you know, to running your own production company, working with big crews and kind of heading up all that. Something else that you're you've like really good at, and I've seen some stuff on your Instagram is, you know, kind of a, a marketing standpoint, like online presence. Like I love the behind the scenes stuff you do, like where you'll post the shot and then you'll have like all the stuff behind the scenes, how you've, how you've lit it and how you've shot it. Do you want to, because you, you have a YouTube channel as well, hey? 
Yeah, the YouTube channel that uh, never gets enough uh, attention or love for me, the work in progress, I call it, because, uh, you know, I, I want to put content out there that people can learn from because, I mean, I've learned a lot from online and my goal with my YouTube channel was to do that, but I, I mean, I'm never consistent. But yeah, from, from that perspective, the content that I try to put out is, you know, breakdowns or behind the scenes because I think that that's like the best education that you can get is like seeing set life, I call it. I, I, you know, I renamed one of the series set life on YouTube and, um, I couldn't find that. Like when I would, when I was searching for like behind the scenes content, cause I just wanted to immerse myself in behind the scenes. I just couldn't find anyone posting it on YouTube. So then I was just like, well, I'm going to bring someone to every single shoot and have people shoot behind the scenes for me. Um, that cost me money, but I mean, it's, it's a good thing to look back on. And in regards to your other question about the marketing, so because I went to school for business, I studied marketing. I actually studied accounting first and that bored the hell out of me. And then I studied, <laughs> I studied marketing. Um, so, you know, Rue, the company I own, is a marketing agency first and video kind of falls under that. So I know a lot about marketing and how to, you know, market yourself or market a brand. And one of the things that I try to help filmmakers specifically with is like, how do you market yourself? Because if you're trying to network with people online, what's the best way to do that? So, you know, I'm, I'm slowly trying to put out more content um, to help people network. But I think the biggest advice I can give from a marketing standpoint is advice that I should probably take and just put out good stuff and be a little bit more consistent. <laughs> yeah. No, it's tough, dude, though. Like, you know, especially if you're running a business and you're running your full-time production company, having somebody to, you know, shoot all that kind of stuff is great. But, you know, it's also, it's a lot of work to sit down and, and kind of edit it and go through it all. And I think a question I kind of want to ask, too, is you, we've been talking networking, we've been talking a lot of marketing. And for me personally, I think there's two kind of sides to it. You know, there's networking from a production company standpoint and a filmmaker standpoint where you're networking with people who are like, oh, you know, I, I like your work or, or, oh, I want to work with you. I want you to have you, I want to have you on my shoot. But then there's the other side where, you know, you're networking with clients, right? And, um, you know, for you, you're saying, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you know, you're doing weddings. I'm doing weddings too. But, you know, for them looking at you, you're five years down the road. There's a really big gap between doing a one or one or two person shoot at a wedding versus doing, you know, a big commercial with 22 people. Um, do you want to kind of talk me through how, you know, how you can, I don't want to say gain confidence, but, you know, as your portfolio grows, how are you able to reach out and land bigger clients, you know, coming from a smaller crew size and, and production size? Yeah. So where I am, video is not super popular. So at the beginning, when I first started, I was trying to sell people this idea of video. And I went around to local businesses. And I was like, hey, you need a video. And I went to like the local like chamber of commerce uh, which I'm still a part of for other reasons, but I was trying to like sell everyone this idea of like, hey, video is a good thing. And uh, it didn't work that well, actually. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about trial and failure. It's going to be my new thing. Uh, that didn't work. I couldn't sell people on something that they didn't need. So that was something I learned very quickly of like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to sell people on something that they don't need. So how can I get people that need video to pick me? That became the question that I had to figure out. And what I became good at and through, you know, marketing, I think I got some experience from this was, was two things. One, I got really good at SEO. So I built a kick-ass website and, um, I got good at putting like tags and descriptions and writing for SEO. So go take a course on that. It's helpful. And I would get a lot of leads. I'd be, you know, I got myself on the first page of Google. So locally businesses that were looking oh, for, dude, that's great. Yeah. Businesses that were looking for videographer. I was on the first page of Google and that took probably a year, maybe a year and a half to get on the first page of Google, but I was smart about it. And every time I got a lead, I was like, okay, I'm going to draft up a response. I'm going to answer them right away. So they know that like, I'm super interested. And I knew the other people that were on the first page you know, they were well-established, obviously, and they were probably going to get back to them in 24, 48 hours. I would get back to them right away with information, a proposal, some examples. And, you know, when I first started, I didn't have any examples. So I just sent them the commercial that landed in theaters. And I was like, hey, I just did this commercial. It was in theaters. And, you know, that 
that helped a lot because people are like, oh, wow, this guy's, you know, he's done a commercial that's in theaters. We just want a commercial for our local blah, blah, blah. And so then I would send out all the reasons why they should pick me. And, you know, I got that down to like a point form list and then I'd package it up in a nice package and email back off to them with a quote. And at first, you know, my quotes were probably a lot lower than the rest of the industry. And, and then that changed really quickly because I knew I didn't want to be known as the cheap guy. I wanted to be known as the guy that did good work. So then slowly, you know, I would get a couple Google leads a month and then really, I would just like, once if I was done a video for a client, I'd be like, hey, cool, do you have any other videos you want to do? And then I would just ask them. And honestly, to this day, I still do the same thing. It's just like, leverage your existing clients. I I don't have a sales team that works for Rue. I don't go out and sell. I probably should. I would make way more money uh, if we actually sold anything. But now, I just... I want people that want to work with us because they've seen the work. And that was kind of my philosophy from the beginning was if I did something good for a company, they would want to do something with me again because they saw value in how that worked for them. So I did a lot of charity fundraising videos and healthcare videos. So they would use those for fundraising. They would get money because of the video and then be like, okay, we want to do it again. We want to do another video and that's going to help us raise funds. So again, that value circle. And then those relationships was like, you know, I'd get another email or write a proposal and I'd be like, hey, I did this video for X company and it raised them this much money. How about we do one for you? And I still do that to this day. So that transition from weddings to corporate work, you know, I was still shooting weddings and then, you know, once a month, I may be doing a corporate gig. And then sometimes a bride and groom would be like, hey, I work for X company. They need a video. And then they'd give them my name. So weddings led to a couple leads too. That's awesome, bro. Dude, honestly, you know, for me, just hearing that, especially, like I said, it's kind of like a DIY marketing for a lot of people. You know, for you, you can really see your business training kind of coming out. You know, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And I think too, you know, you're saying, over time, the client size kind of grew, but also as, you know, bigger budgets and stuff, you're also able to bring on more people, you know? So, and then they kind of see, you know, oh yeah, we've worked with Derek before. He's done a good job. And then, you know, you have people that you recommend that you can work with and kind of just snowballs into bigger projects. And then it's like, you know, we started with, you know, one camera and two people. And then it's like, oh, you know, now we got two cameras and we got five people. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But no, that's really fascinating, dude. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to speak from like the client perspective, like I think some people are always just eager to get new clients. And it's like, honestly, a good philosophy now I have is like, just leverage your existing mm-hmm. clients. Like if new clients come in, that's great. But then nurture the ones that you have because you can grow with them. Likely some clients you can't, they won't ever spend a dollar more than they did last time. But some clients, and I mean, this is the exact case for me is like you start with tiny little baby budget video and you work your way to national ads. Yeah. And like you grow, they grow. And like, you know, let's say you're working for like a hat company or something. I don't know. And they're, you know, they're selling a little bit of product, but they're kind of brand new. And then they start getting more sales because of your videos. Well, now you can increase the budget because they're increasing their sales. So you just grow with them. Um, And, you know, that's something like, even for people that are like medium high level, not just starting, you can still do that. I mean, I'm, I'm shooting next week. I'm doing that exact thing. New company going to shoot with them. The hope is that as they grow, you know, I'm going to hit that next budget with them. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. And that's the thing too, is you're right. A lot of people I think are kind of obsessed with, you know, oh, I want to, I want to do a new client. I want to do new projects, new people, but you're right. You know, if, if they're growing, you know, why not just kind of stay with them and grow with them? Yeah. And I mean, you know, piggyback off their success because that's going to be your success, I think. And, um, you know, at the same time, you you know, you got to have a diverse enough portfolio, I think. So, you know, if you're doing videos for a basketball company, you know, 
I would diversify a little bit, but you know, some people make a living off just shooting basketball videos. Yeah, no, so. that's crazy. Where do you want to? So you're talking a little bit about, um, you know, national commercials. Is that kind of an end goal? Um, I know earlier you were talking about a feature doco, which would be crazy to do. Um, where do you see not only yourself in five years or five, you know, ten years, but where do you see Rue in the future? Um, they definitely have two separate paths, really. Um, Rue is going to be known as the go-to for, for marketing from strategy to video to national ads, you know, and I'll obviously play a part in that, but even right now, like it's not just me anymore. There's mm-hmm. a team behind Rue and, you know, that's the business side of trying to grow that to be a company that doesn't exist with just me. Yeah. Um, and then from a personal standpoint, I, I am doing a feature doc right now that got put on kind of hold because of COVID yeah. and you can't travel outside of this country. Yeah. It's rough, but I have a plan for a couple more passion projects. We shot, um, I produced, um, a short film that won a lot of awards last year, which I'm super grateful for the team that worked on that one. And that was a good eye opener into like, you know, I want to do more, um, short films, short docs, maybe some narrative stuff. Yeah, I have like a docu series that I'm gonna work on after my first doc's done, the feature. But for me, it's it's really I want to like I want to get something else on Netflix. I have a Netflix credit right now as a cinematographer, but I want to oh sick. I want to get uh, you know I want to direct something that's fully mine on Netflix. Yeah, and. It's it's hard because those are the projects that you're not going to make a lot of money on. Like this documentary that we're doing is, you know, I'm a lot of money invested in it yeah. and no one's paying for it right now. So to anyone that's like, I want to do a passion project, I want to get into narrative film and documentaries, that sounds so cool. It's not super glorious. It's, yeah. it's fun, uh, but they're a lot of friggin' work and a lot of money and a lot of time. So... I am slowly realizing that because it's the first one that I've ever done. But end goal would be to do more of that because when I started this one, I'll never forget a conversation. I don't remember who it was with. It was some family member. And they're like, have you done anything I might have seen? And my answer to this day still is, yes, the stuff that you skip past on TV. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's... That's always been my answer. So I don't, um, you know, as much as I have a couple of things that have meant to like smaller theaters and, you know, the thing I helped kind of shoot on Netflix, I want to be able to say like, no, you can go check out this thing I shot. It's on Netflix. Yeah. No. And like, that's just been a goal of mine. It's not even like Netflix. It's just that idea of like, I want to tell people hey, check this out. Yeah, no, totally, man. And I agree what you're saying, you know, like people who are like, oh, I want to do, I want to do passion projects. I want to do projects outside of my work. You know, I do the same thing. I do a lot of stuff, but I find, you know, there comes a point where you have to like get other people on board too. And then it's that awkward, like, oh, do I have to pay them? Do I not? You know, cause for me, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll shoot all this stuff and I'll just like hit up some of my friends who are actors and models. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm just going to shoot this. Let's go do it. Um, you know, and you shoot it and I'm like, oh, this is sick. And I'm like, well, now I need to, the sound design. I'm like, dude, I'm trash. Like I'm so bad. <laughs> right. So then I'm like, I go to, to my sound guy at work. I'm like, Hey bro, I'm like doing like a passion project. And I have like no money. <laughs> Do you want to help out on it? And for him, because he does his own music, right? He's He does the podcast, actually. His name's Phil Metcalf. And he's like, yeah, bro, totally, right? But, you know, for me, then I'm like, okay, great. Now I, have, I can color grade, but I'm not like a colorist, you know? Um, and yeah. so, you know, it's you come to that point where you're like, you know, and that's where the relationships come in because, you know, you can only go so far by yourself. But like you were saying earlier, you know, you, you find people who have, you know, that same mindset who it's not just a job to, you know, they have that drive and that passion. But no, nah, dude, I totally know what you mean when you're like, um, you're like, yeah, cool. I did this all on my own, but like, I can't finish it <laughs> and I need help, you know? Yeah, I <laughs> I have that a lot, honestly. Like I shoot more than I probably, I do more than I probably can handle. And then some stuff, you know, never gets to see the light of day, uh, like my podcast, uh, because you just get bogged down with one element of the chain. So I think surrounding yourself with good people that have skill sets is super, super important. Yeah, dude, totally. And even like you were saying, you're like, I've made no money on some things and I've actually lost money on it. I think that kind of attitude is really what's going to separate people who are 
going to be, I don't want to say successful in the industry, but the people who are going to like make it to the next level, you know, because um, it's not something that you can just kind of go halfway or, oh, you know, it's my time's up. That's it. Um, and I think, you know, if you want to do things like short films or you want to do things that you can, you know, submit to festivals or stuff where you have a creative control, the sad like reality is that you're going to have to do a lot of things. And, you know, if you don't have a budget, whenever I ask people on, I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm just straight up. I'm like, you know, I'm just doing this for my own. I'm not going to make money off it. It's just purely for portfolio to network, you know, to grow professionally as well. But nah, dude, I totally get what you're saying when you're like, yeah, great. Now I'm I'm here and, and it's like, okay, I don't know how to color grade. I can color grade, but I'm not like at that level. I don't know how to do sound. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a situation to be in. Cool. And uh, you were telling me earlier that you actually have a project on Netflix. You know, I think for people who are, you know, not only in the independent world, but I think people who are just starting out, I find people say, oh, I want to get into a festival or they say, I want to get it on Netflix. Um, are you able to kind of just chat me through the project and then kind of, you know, what role you played on the shoot and then also what the process was like getting it from, you know, I don't know if you're on it on pre-production, but pre-production, production, post-production, and then obviously distribution. Yes, it's a documentary. Um, it's called Generation Iron 3. It's a bodybuilding documentary produced by a company in New York. They have like, I don't know, 40 something docs, a lot on Netflix. I got a call out of the blue. Their producer called and said, Hey, we're shooting a guy in London. Uh, he's a bodybuilder, you know, world famous. And uh, we need someone to follow him for like five days and just capture everything. And, um, I never really like I had done a lot of like doc stuff before, obviously for just like corporate clients. Um, and I was like, you know what? Sure, I'll do it. You know, do we have a crew? And they're like, no, it's just you. And this was like the point where I had kind of stopped filming stuff and I was more so directing and just doing passion projects. And I didn't own a ton of gear. And I was like, well, just so that you guys know, like, uh, I'm cool with it, but like, it's going to be challenging. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So I was like, okay. So man, I had at the time, I think like a Sony a seven So, you know, a DSL or a mirrorless camera. I shot most of it on like that camera and a shoulder rig and like a wireless lav. And I was doing audio and I was doing camera. One man band. I was the one man band oh, dude. dude. And, uh, so we filmed with this bodybuilder Regan for like five days is straight in London, just following everything that he did. And um, so I think in the doc, you know, he's he's like a one of five main uh, bodybuilders in the doc that they featured. And, you know, it's like a 10 minute segment. But all I did, honestly, was just film it, hand them off the footage. And, you know, they did the rest and got it on Netflix. I wasn't really involved in the pre-production or post-production. So that's why I say, I mean, it's a Netflix credit, but like I didn't have a huge role or <clears throat> final say. It was just... You know, it's cool to add a feather to the cap, but it's not, you know, my capstone project, let's say. Yeah, yeah. No, but honestly, dude, even, you know, for, for a Netflix project to be able to reach out to you, you know, it, it does say a lot about, you know, not only your work, but like, obviously, you know, reliability, um, you know, professionalism and all that stuff too. And, you know, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, you know, because I am a DP and, you know, sometimes I get... I don't want to say I get to the point, but I'm like, oh yeah, dude, like, you know, I'd much rather sometimes be focusing more on just the creative part, right? I don't want to have to think about booking gear and stuff. But at the same time, you know, I think it's really important because you you have that skill, like you've, you've shot, you know, as a director, what you can and can't do and the ramifications of the decision you're going to make. And also like from an employability standpoint, you know, say if you were only a director and they're like, Hey, can you go shoot this? And you're like, Oh, I don't know how it's like, well, there's a job that's gone, you know? Yeah. And it was a connection I didn't want to lose. Cause I think at the time I won, I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, why is this random company from New York calling me? I don't know who you are. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I was a little bit, I was a little bit iffy, like, ah, I'm not the best shooter. And like, I, you know, I don't own like a, Ari or Red at the time and um but they were, they didn't care. They just were like they didn't care about like how pretty the images looked. It was about capturing the content and I think that goes back to you know my feature that I'm working on now is not about the prettiest of lighting. It's a hockey mm -hmm. documentary. It takes place in hockey arenas and you know sometimes it's the story that's the most important and you know my Instagram is full with like pretty images and behind the scenes of big gear sets but like the reality is sometimes you don't 
have that or you don't need it. And yeah, that, that was a probably a good example of that. So people that, you know, go and watch that, don't look at that work and be like, that's, uh, you know, Derek's best work. Cause it's not, it's yeah, not, yeah. but it's on Netflix. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. No, and even even just going off the uh, the hockey documentary, I saw you've done some stuff with Zach Bell, aka Always Hockey. The guy's an absolute freak, man. How did that <laughs> How did that project come about? Yeah, so I'm a big hockey fan. So you know, I did this hockey doc, and Zach is actually unrelated to that. It was actually a client of mine, a guy I share an office space with. He, um, one of his clients is is Grit. And they were releasing a new hockey glove. They they do a lot of hockey bags, and they were coming out with a glove. And anyways, they partnered up with Zach, and you know Zach was gonna film the video himself, like he does his own YouTube videos. And you know my my buddy had worked with Grit in the past, and just said, hey, you know we'll shoot it. So I ended up directing that project, and uh, Nick, I ended up shooting it. But we went to Zach's where he lives for a day and spend a day with him. And the dude's hilarious. He's he's a fun guy to hang out with. And then, uh, you know, his hockey skills, man, we uh, are something Dude, else. I Honestly, know, like just, you know, you watch him do his thing and it's like, you know, why doesn't he have his own TV show or something? Like the guy is super, super talented. And it, it's not like, you know, you see some people online, it's like, okay, they, they're super talented, but then you meet them in person and they're not. Like they're just, they're lucky and they it takes like 400 takes. Man, like Zach, yeah. like... Everything you see in the video that we shot with Zach was like his first or second take. Like the dude is insane. And like as a hockey fan, it was a super fun project because like, you know, we were shooting hockey and it was just like, let's make cool shit with a hockey player that can do unbelievable stuff. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. And even like you're saying, you know, because I think he's doing, I don't know if it's with TSN or Sportsnet. He's doing something with them. Um, and like you're saying, you know, like now that you have that relationship, you know, if he does want to do something down the road, do you know what I mean? Like now, now you have that. Yeah. Zach, Zach and I have, have chatted, um, on Instagram, you know, if COVID wasn't such a big predominant thing, I'd probably go up and shoot some YouTube videos with them. Yeah, man. Totally. For collaboration purposes. Cause, uh, you know, that'd be, be fun, but unfortunately things, um, you know, that's not possible. Yeah, man. You know, you're saying earlier, you really want to get into, um, you know, features, feature docos. Um, I know you're working on one right now. Do you want to chat about that a little bit? Because, you know, for me, like I'm a huge hockey fan. So I, for me, that's really exciting. But you want to kind of chat through what the process has been like, you know, what you've been up to, who you've had on it so far? Or? Yeah, yeah. So the the working title is called Road to the Show. So it was this concept of following hockey players leading up to their draft year and following them outside of the rink and outside of the technical elements. So, I mean, we went to all the technical events for those that follow hockey, you know, the events leading up to the draft. And we went to the NHL draft and we're on the floor and backstage and all that cool stuff. And honestly, as a hockey fan, that was an unbelievable experience. We flew to Vancouver and did that. Super fun. But the process has been interesting because I didn't really have any connections in the hockey world. So, the, the first connection I made was through a friend of mine that knew someone in the junior um, level hockey league here. We uh, we met a couple players through the OHL here and then they got us kind of, you know, we created like this little draft teaser that we sent to the NHL and then uh, the NHL gave us media passes and, you know, we came to all the events and um, then we, you know, we met a couple other players along the way and, you know, started kind of interviewing them and documenting their stories so, you know, we've talked to Canadian celebrities like Ron McLean, who's the host of like CBC and Hockey Night in Canada. You know, we've talked to NHL players. Um, some of them I can't really name yet because yeah. we're kind of keeping some stuff a secret. We've talked to GMs of NHL teams. You know, we've got a lot of big players, uh, former NHL players uh, that are retired and in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, you know, for Canadians, you know, for anyone that likes hockey, I'm, I'm, it's a very Canadian doc. It's going to be a big staple. The one piece that we're missing right now is we have some players and coaches in the NHL that we want to interview to kind of finish off a bit of the story to tie it all together. And, um, you know, we're currently waiting on production to kind of resume on that. But this was a brainchild of uh, myself and a friend of mine. And then we brought another co-producer on. And the three of us have really been the spearheads of it shooting. You know, I've been directing it. The three of us, you know, sometimes two of us go out and shoot. 
you know, for a day. I think we're we're 30 days into production right now. So, and, and every single day we've either had to drive somewhere or travel across the country. Uh, and it's all come out of, you know, our pockets. So it's it's a big investment and something I'm excited to show. If anyone's interested, uh, I have some behind the scenes on my YouTube channel that kind of show episode one to, I, I don't know, I think it's episode four right now, but I'm going to document the whole process from production to post-production when we're there. And, you know, if it gets picked up by a streaming platform, I'm going to document the entire, like every single call, um, you know, how we got into the NHL. I've got that on phone record. Like I've yeah, got all of it. Cause I was going to ask, I was like, dude, that's crazy. You know, it sounds, oh yeah, we just connected with some junior players. And then we, we networked. And the thing is too, I think that is interesting because, you know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. It's exciting. But at the end of the day, that's a corporate client, right? You know, so that's, that's a total different way of networking. And dude, definitely. Yeah. Let me know. And I'll post some of that on the, on the Instagram um, cause that'll be really fascinating to see, you know, cause it's yeah. pretty much anything that you're doing for that is applicable to almost any client in a little bit of a way, you know, in the corporate world. Where are you, where are you looking to do once it's done? Like, are you going to put it, are you going to send it to Netflix? Are you going to send it to festivals? What's the, what's the plan? Nah, Netflix would be the, you know, the, the main the one. Meow, that's the main one. I, I I'll take anything. Honestly, I just want to have something that um, we're proud of. We got to make that didn't have a hidden agenda for a client. Um, we had full control over, and ultimately, I can show people. I can sit down with my family and my friends and say, "Hey, let's watch this thing that I made." Um, we may do a festival run. You know, I do want to put it in a couple of theaters at least yeah. for the people that are involved. I think we could sell out a couple of those. And you know, at that, it's just really that's going to be my first kick at this you know world of feature films, and um, I've learned so much from it so far. All right. Awesome, dude. Now I kind of want to get into the, um, just into the last part of it. I've been asking these questions to everybody on the podcast and, you know, I've gotten different answers from everybody, which is really good. You know, some people, they've said totally different things and it's totally valid because, you know, there's no, everyone has a very different way of getting into the industry in a very different way that they work. You know, for you, because you're a bit more in a director's space now, I'm kind of interested to see and to hear your perspective, especially because you were saying, oh, you know, I used to I used to be like all excited over the new gear and stuff. And now I'm a little bit more and looking into directing and much more project based. Do you think film school is worth it or is it better to teach yourself? And I know for you, you were saying you're totally self-taught, which is crazy because some of your stuff is just unbelievable. Yeah. I'm just really curious to hear what your answer is on this. I think that the option for film school is a good option for people that like learning in an educational environment. And I think some people need school as a a way to show up every day and have that motivation. They can't sit and find all the content on YouTube or you know find all the podcasts. They need school to go over it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that if that's you or if you know you want to try out filmmaking and you don't necessarily know the connections, film school seems like a good way to make those connections. And I know people that have gone to film school and they've been successful because the connections that they made at film school. What I think my biggest thing about film school is is that some people think that once they graduate they're going to be the next, you know, Roger Deakins. And everyone comes out of film school and wants to be a DP. Yeah. Well, because you come into film school does not make you a DP <laughs> and it does not yeah. make you Roger Deakins. It makes you ready to come on a film set, kind of. Um, so I work with a lot of students that come out of film school and they want to come on my set and they're like, hey, pay me, can I be your DP? And I'm like, well, no. You you can come out and see what it's like to be on a set and you're going to get some value from coming on my set and seeing what it's really like and not in a school environment. So I, I stress to people that are you know contemplating school and work, which one's better, I think you're always going to need the real life experience um, to put on your portfolio and to show people and talk about. School is a good way to learn all the technical elements if you care about that. And it's a good way to meet connections and learn the basics, but you're always going to need set experience. You're never just going to walk out of school and create your feature film. You're not going to walk into a Hollywood commercial set. Like you got to build up to that and, you know, leverage the connections you do at film school to, to help you with that. And, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with either direction, and I'm kind of impartial, but I think experience trumps everything. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, there is, I don't want to say there's a stigma, but there is sometimes this attitude of people who come out of um, university with like a film degree or a film studies degree, you know, they're like, all right, you know what, I'm a filmmaker, I have to do this. But at the end of the day, realistically, you're starting at the same spot as somebody who didn't. And, you know, I totally agree. You know, it's, it's a very safe environment. You know, if you like faceplant and you fail, you know, in film school, it's a very safe environment. Uh, it's like, all right, you know, not try it the next time. But, you know, I think you definitely do need that real world experience, not only because, you know, you're going to learn technical things because, you know, in school, yeah, they do everything quote unquote properly, but in the real world, that's not how it is. Um, so, you know, you're going to see how people work in the industry, but also it's just that environment and that networking, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a bubble, but I think that's where internships can be good because it is a little bit like, you know, you are in school, but you're not, but no, I do agree totally that there's nothing like the real thing. And, you know, I can, you can definitely tell when somebody has come out of that environment. And again, like you said, it's not a bad environment. And yeah, at the end of the day, whether you have a degree or not, you'll probably be getting somebody coffee or you'll be coiling cables. <laughs> and the thing is, I know people who've said they'd rather have people who didn't go to film school because there's not that, I don't want to say ego, but there's that, oh, you know, I've, I've studied, I need to at least be doing this. You need to have that humble attitude and yeah. be like, you know what, dude? Yeah. And especially, you know, for me, like I've moved around a lot. So I've had to do that multiple times where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I've I've done this and I've done that, but at the end of the day, dude, you got to kind of just swallow your pride and and get down to what you need to do. Yeah, I think swallowing your pride's a big thing. Like if you if you come out of film school and you think cuz you were the DP of your class and you were the best and you come out of film school and you think that you're going to be the DP or even the first AC, you know, you're probably far off. You're yeah. going to be wrapping cables like you said, you're going to be going to get coffee, those types of things that if you have a good attitude to you will get brought back and people will recognize mm -hmm. that more than anything. But if you have a shitty attitude, man, I've had so many people come mm -hmm. out and set, they have a shitty attitude, never bring them out again. And they could be the best person at their job. You have a shitty attitude, you're never coming again. Yeah, oh, totally. And as I've said this before, you know, the entry level stuff, you know, at the end of the day, anyone can get somebody coffee, anybody can call cables, but we're going to call you back because you had a good attitude and you were good to have. And especially in this industry, because, you know, you work long hours. It's not like a nine to five. You know, it's not only having a good attitude about what you're doing, but, you know, just having that kind of endurance and that drive to kind of get through. Because I'm like, dude, when I was in uni and I did like my internship, it was like in the Canadian winter in Alberta, we did like a 23 hour day, a night shoot. And I was like, dude, this is... I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna have a good attitude, but this is this is not not a good time. Yeah, like I've brought out guys, and they, their job that day is to stand outside and make sure the light doesn't fall down in a windstorm because we need to get the shot, and that's their job yeah. for the whole 12 hour yeah. day. And you know what? That's the test. If they have a good attitude, I'm gonna bring them out again. They're probably not gonna have to do that anymore. But if they have a shitty attitude and they're on their phone all day, nah, sorry, I'm not gonna bring you out again. Yeah. No, dude, on that note, I remember, I think one of my instructors told me this story about some, some girl who actually had gone to my uni. They had people like five kilometers out from the set holding signs, diverting traffic. And they had like six of them and they wrapped at like 1am and then they all went to the bar after. And they were like, where's this person? And they had forgotten about this person. They went back two hours later after they had left and she was still standing there with the sign. That's a good attitude. I want that person. <laughs> yeah. I want that person. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, dude, that's... And apparently they like, they didn't tell her originally. They're like, yeah, we just finished. And she was like, okay, cool. But in reality, they'd been gone for that. Oh, man. Gone for like three hours. Funny. That's great. Yeah, we'll hop over to the second question. Um, and again, this is what I was saying. Um, you know, you're you're a bit more of a director now. You're not you're shooting, but you're not doing it as much. Are you a, a buy gear kind of guy, or do you prefer to rent? Obviously, you know it kind of depends on the project. And I know you do a lot of passion projects, so I can imagine having your own gear could be good with that. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so my answer is probably a little bit unique for people that come out of bigger production hubs. So where I am being two hours from the closest production center, which is Toronto, it wasn't really affordable to rent gear logistically because I would have to drive to Toronto one day, pick it up, rent it, and then drive it back the day after production. So you'd pay for a three-day rental for a one-day thing and that not including the drive time. So for me, I, I just had to buy everything. And so every dollar I made went into buying gear. And... 
it's benefited me now because I mean, it's kept its value and I'm able to use it. And, you know, I'd work with other people that have some gear, but now, man, I own enough gear now to do a big budget commercial without having to rent anything, which do I think that's better? No, probably not. Cause it's a lot of capital investment up front. But like, if you're in this situation and you know, you need the gear, like you just do what you got to do. And for me, it was literally every dollar I made went into buying the gear that I needed to and being smart about it. I mean, a lot of I bought a lot of dumb gear, mm-hmm. but I quickly learned like, okay, if I'm going to buy something, it's got to make me money back quick. Like if I'm going to buy a gimbal, I need to know that I'm going to have a gimbal shoot where I need this gimbal for. And, you know, now I'm not buying gimbals. Like why? I don't need a gimbal. I don't shoot anything on a gimbal. I don't ever use a gimbal. So I'm not going to buy one. So not getting caught up in that that trend. Uh, if I had a rental house nearby, I probably would have been able to try out more lenses and more cameras and all of that stuff and the newest gear easier. But I think that almost helped because then I didn't get caught up on like, oh, I got to shoot this project on an Ari or I got to shoot this project on a Red. And yeah. even for me now as a director, like I just care if it's good. You could say you shot it on a Sony mirrorless camera, and I'd be like, I don't, I don't care if it's good. It's good. Exactly. And I think too, like you were saying, you know, the the whole trial and failure thing. You know, if if you have your own gear, you can go out whenever you want and play with it. Whereas, you know, if you're on the clock with a rental, you don't really have that luxury. Like for you, imagine driving two hours to Toronto renting it two hours back and then you're like oh i'm just gonna like go and shoot random stuff and just play with like it just doesn't make any sense you know (laughs) no like if you were like uh like i did a shoot maybe maybe two and a half weeks ago and the rental price to rent all the gear that i own would have been probably close to two grand Mm -hmm. for a passion project yeah to rent so can you to rent to rent home to rent for a day. Dude, no way. So not including the fact that I would have needed it for three days because of where I'm situated geographically. Yeah. So I would have spent $6,000 on a passion project. Think about that. that doesn't for for just, just gear. That's not that's nothing else. It's just, just gear. Just gear. So no, I obviously, you know, I couldn't do passion projects if I didn't have my own gear. No, totally, man. And again, yeah, like it's, it's that weight, right? And I think it's, it kind of depends. Like for me, I came from a small town, right? Like I'm from Alberta. So for me, it's the same thing. I'm like, yeah, we don't have a rental house. And, you know, even like I'd have to drive to Calgary, drive to Edmonton. So it's three hours of driving. And unless you want to get up super early to drive it in, it's going to be a three-day rental for a one-day shoot. Cool. Um, all right, the last one. And this is um, something that I've I've actually been very... You know, it's been good chatting with people about because for me, sometimes I've gotten heat. They're like, oh, you know, you should charge more or you shouldn't do that for free or or, you shouldn't do that. Um, You know, the value of free work, but also knowing that line when to not work for free. Um, You know, you've said you've done stuff for very cheap. You've done stuff for free. You've put all your money back into your business. Where do you draw the line? Like, is it, oh, you know, this is a bigger client. They should have a budget or is it, I do this one for free because I see that there's a future relationship there. And like you were saying earlier, you can grow with the business. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, my thoughts now have probably changed from when I first started. Like the first, the first project that I ever did that we talked about at the beginning uh, that landed in theaters, I did charge for it. And I didn't know what to charge at the time. I had no idea what video costs, but I think I charged like, I don't know, like, a grand, fifteen hundred bucks, which you know to some people it, it, it seems like a lot, but I was like, I just artificially made up a number, and I was like, that's the number. So when I did that, I never had really worked for free yet. So early on, I kind of got the taste of like, okay, I'm always going to get paid. I'm always worth something. Yeah. So every project I did, I would charge a little bit, even if I made no money and I had to pay other people or I invested money, I'd always charge something. And then it wasn't until maybe a couple years ago where I realized I wanted to start doing projects just for me and to better myself Mm -hmm. that I would do it for, you know, free, but I would have the final say ultimately in it. So some music videos, um, some doc stuff, you know, the feature that I'm working on now is a good example of that. I don't think I ever did anything for free for a, a client. You know, I did stuff for less to build a relationship and hope for future work and more budgets but I never did anything for free. Now, my thoughts on this are a little bit different than my approach. I think that to build your portfolio up, you may need to do one or two for free. That's fine. But you need at some point to really value yourself. Even if that's like 
100 or 200 bucks. At least value yourself and then position yourself early on to be not the cheapest guy in the city. And I said that before is like when I started getting work, I knew I didn't want to be the cheapest in the city. So I quickly changed my pricing structure. So Mm -hmm. for anyone trying to figure out what to charge or how to get their portfolio, I would say get a couple in the bank and then realize that you have some value. And there's plenty of ways to make money and then do passion projects, you know, shoot weddings, shoot music videos, get paid for those and then experiment on the other stuff. Dude, this has been great. Thanks so much for sitting down with me, Derek, bro. It's been awesome chatting. Yeah, man. I uh, Hopefully, people that have listened to this have learned uh, a little bit about filmmaking, maybe a bit about business. Um, and if you didn't know what uh, hockey was before this, you should watch hockey because it's great <laughs> uh, as a Canadian yeah. sport. And uh, no, honestly, I'm glad that you're you're putting out a podcast for people to learn from. So awesome. Thanks for having me. No, dude, it's been great. It's honestly been really good to just see somebody who's like, you know, you're working at a really high level, but you're also like trying to keep growing and keep making the next step. So um, yeah, dude, what are your socials? Where can people find you on, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? Yeah, so I primarily use Instagram. And when I say primarily, I mean, uh, I post irregularly, but uh, the username's at Derek underscore Lamru. If you don't know how to spell my last name, L-A-M-O-U-R-E-U-X. Uh, I don't use Twitter. I have an account. Don't use it. Don't use Facebook. (laughs) And uh, YouTube's a work in progress. So go follow me there. It's the same name. And there's some cool content and breakdowns and behind the scenes you should check out. Awesome, bro. Well, this has been the Just Filmmakers Podcast, episode number four. Derek, thanks again, bro. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time.